Let's read together this account that we're celebrating. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We have it for on the screens uh, over my shoulder. It's also in the Bibles in your pew. It's on your phone if you have the Bible app. Let's read the word of the Lord together this morning. Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds to hear your truth this morning from your word. We pray for our children that you do the same in their classrooms and our church family as they're in groups throughout the building as well. We give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So this moment, we celebrate it every year, uh, Palm Sunday we call it, and the crowds shout out Hosanna. I looked up Hosanna because I can't remember from one year to the next what the word means, and I'm like, oh, that's right. So one way to think of Hosanna is to simply think of it like this. How do you define the word hooray? I don't, I don't know how to define the word hooray. But if I say hooray, it certainly communicates something that doesn't even need to be defined, right? The crowd was out there celebrating that Jesus was riding through the, through the crowd. They believed him to be their king. This is a moment whenever finally it looks like, oh, finally they get it. Finally they're worshiping and celebrating Jesus. And the beautiful way that God has put the story together, um, the yet tragic way he's put the story together, they, as wonderful as this moment is, they're going to crucify Jesus, and he's going to die. But next week, we will celebrate his resurrection. We're in the midst of a series together as a church where we're asking the question, what did Jesus teach? And then we're, at, we're saying, okay, what did Jesus teach about a relevant topic to our world today? But what I want us to do today is answer the question, what did Jesus teach us in his triumphal entry? What did Jesus teach us in his triumphal entry? And what I want us to see from this passage, there's lots we could highlight, but I want to just highlight one simple thing. And that is that Jesus teaches us the importance of being gentle. So it, you might have missed it as it was being read. And one reason you might have missed it is because the word gentle didn't actually show up in the translation that I just read for you and that was on the screen. You have to, I pick a translation because um, there's so many good translations that are available at our fingertips living in America today. So I have picked the English Standard Version. If that helps you as you listen to me preach or you read slides, I've picked the English Standard Version. There are other great versions. If you hear Scott preach, he's picked the NIV. Um, there's lots of great options for you out there. But just for the simplicity of my life, I just landed on the ESV. But just because I like the ESV overall doesn't mean I like the ESV best on every single verse. 
So we actually have a slide for you that shows this verse in the NIV, which is my preference on this verse. It says, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. So what they do when they translate the Bible is they go back to the original Greek uh, that, was, that was communicated in the 2,000 years ago, and they try their best to translate a Greek word into modern-day English. And so the King James Version, maybe you've heard of that one, that's famous for having like old-style language, right? The thous and the these and the arts and hitherto's and all of that. So they, when they translate this verse, they say meek. But we've really almost lost that word from our vocabulary today. I don't hear anybody using the word meek anymore. But it's the same, I guess the same across the same idea. The New King James Version says lowly. Uh, New English translation says unassuming. So we have this Greek word that means humble, gentle, lowly, unassuming, meek. If you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's the same word. We just have to pick how we're going to translate it. So for this morning, we're translating that word gentle, and we're highlighting the gentleness of Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. In this passage in Matthew chapter 21, Matthew is quoting from the prophet Zechariah, or um, yeah, Zechariah, it's from Zechariah 9.9, it's a direct quote. He's showing that Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, and that Jesus is entering into Jerusalem gentle and riding on a donkey. But here's the problem. We don't understand what gentlemanness means in our world today. Because the people they put in front of us to uh, follow their pattern of life, so the celebrities we watch or the news we watch, or they're not modeling for us gentleness most of the time. We don't really know what gentleness looks like. We, if we're honest, I think probably most of us associate the word gentle with the word weak. So if I try to imagine a gentle person, I'm like, well, I could beat that person up. It's like gentleness has equated itself with weakness, and that is a misunderstanding of gentleness and the gentleness of Jesus. And I would actually argue that if you know a truly gentle person, they're the strongest person you know. And I think we probably just need to adjust how we're looking at the world, because someone that presents themselves as strong could very well be a very weak person. But they're compensating for the weakness that's within them by asserting themselves and building themselves up and presenting as arrogant and proud, right? Think about like people that, that are, present themselves as arrogant and pushy and rude. Those are actually weak people. Weakness is demonstrated in slander and in gossip and in meanness and cruelty, it takes strength to restrain yourself. We all have similar urges, but the strongest people are the people that have learned to restrain those urges and to exude gentleness towards other people, not their own ego, not their own pride, rather kindness and grace and gentleness. A great definition of the word gentleness or, or meekness or whatever word that we want to throw into this verse, but gentleness is strength under control. It's strength under control. So Jesus is obviously the strongest one of all of us. But what he's modeling for us in gentleness is that with the strength he has, he has learned to control it. So gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is strength that's under control. I love Westerns. It's one of the little um, details about my life that, that you should share in. Uh, I'm a big fan of Westerns. One of the Westerns, it's sort of right on the edge of the genre because it's set in Australia, but I grew up on is The Man from Snowy River. Do we have any, anybody who's seen The Man from Snowy River? Okay, thank you. I expected more hands. 
you disappointed me this morning, um, but not for any spiritual reasons. Just, um, okay, The Man from Snowy River, just go online, watch it this week. Um, it's, it has a horse in it, and there's a horse in Palm Sunday. Um, Man from Snowy River, uh, the, the premise is there's this wild stallion on the loose, and uh, the, the hero has to capture the wild stallion and, and all of the herd that's, that's following along with the wild stallion. Um, it's a fun movie. Um, they, they eventually do tame the wild stallion, and there's Return to Snowy River as well, if you're curious. Um, they, they tame the wild stallion. So gentleness is, the picture is this, right? There's, you take this wild stallion, and then you, you tame that horse. Like, is it, is it weaker when it's tamed? No. It has the same strength and the same power. It's just now it's, it's a gentle horse instead of a wild horse with the same strength and the same power and the same capacity, but it's now gentle. A few weeks ago, we, or weeks, probably a few months ago now, my family and I went to a um, community days in Swickley, and there was a, a place where you could interact with the police and the fire department, and the police had a horse, a police horse, and so we approached the police horse, and I told my kids, like, don't touch the horse, you know, right? Like, we have to respect animals and don't, you know, get up in their business, but the police officer was like, no, like, this horse is tame. Like, they can come up, they can touch the horse, they can pet the horse, they can experience the horse. And so our kids were up there doing what, something they've never, you know, really been able to do much ever in their life. And the police officer was there explaining to us that this horse is tame, this horse is powerful. Like, you're standing next to this horse, it's massive. But it's a gentle horse, full of power, but it's learned to be restrained and under control. And such is what we're highlighting as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he is teaching us the importance of being gentle. We make no mistake, Jesus is the most powerful person in the crowd. The text tells us that. It says that Jesus is king. That's what uh, Matthew 21, 5 says. Behold, your king is coming to you. That's why they were all gathered out there. He is the king of Israel. So all these people that uh, are living under Roman occupation... They're like, finally it's happening. Finally we have our own king and he's going to take the throne. That's why they're throwing their, their coats down. That's why they're throwing their palm branches down because 2,000 years ago, that would have been something you do. In, in a time of peace, the king would have rode through his subjects and his subjects would have celebrated their king as he rides through them and they would have waved their palm branches and thrown them at his feet. So they see him as their king and he is a king. He has power. He's not just the king of Israel, though. We read other passages in the scripture, and he's called the king of kings. And we sang that already this morning. And there will come a day when he, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's the king of all kings. But he's not just the king of Israel, and he's not just the king of all kings. He's actually the king of all things. He's the king of the universe. When the apostle Paul described him, he described him this way in Acts 17. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made by hands, neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Jesus is the king. He's the most powerful person in this crowd. He is majestic and strong and mighty. And so it begs the question, why does he present himself in this moment as gentle? Why is his entrance as the king of kings the king of the universe, why does he choose to present himself as gentle? Why not majestic? 
Why not regal? Why not mighty? Any word could be used there, right? Why not awesome? And I think the answer to that question is because the heart of our king is a heart that is gentle. Jesus actually tells us that in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Jesus says, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Listen, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, a pastor named Dane Ortland recently wrote a book, and it's entitled Gentle and Lowly. If you're a reader, you should read the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. But in it, he highlights this verse and elaborates on it. He highlights the fact that you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, this is the only time you will find Jesus describing his own heart. So he writes a book on it, and he highlights this is very important because this is the only time our Savior opens up and says, well, this is, this is how my heart is, and my heart is gentle. It's important. We should probably pay attention to the only time in Scripture in which Jesus tells us about his heart, and he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. At Jesus' core, at the center of his essence, he is telling us that he is gentle. I think this is very important for us to highlight as a church, particularly coming off the last two weeks of sermons. So the last two weeks of sermons, we tackled what does Jesus teach about the afterlife, and we taught that Jesus has a standard, and, and there's the clear teaching of Jesus is that there is a heaven and there is a hell. Last week, we talked about what Jesus taught about human sexuality, and we highlighted that Jesus has a clear standard as it relates to human sexuality. So you come off those two weeks of sermons, and maybe we begin to have this bad idea of Jesus that he is some type of finger pointer that says, hell, two genders, no adultery. But that's not Jesus' heart. Jesus' heart isn't a finger-pointing God. Jesus' heart is, he's saying, no, my heart is gentle and lowly. Jesus' posture is arms open in gentleness to receive us to himself, to receive all who are heavy, burdened, to come to him for rest. He's saying, that's my heart. We tend to project our own messed-up assumptions onto others and onto Jesus, so in this moment of the triumphal entry, it's easy to say like, okay, well, Jesus is king, and so kings are wealthy, and wealthy people look down on the poor, and, and kings are, are uh, powerful, and so powerful people tend to look down on the weak, and, and kings have authority, and, and people with authority tend to be people that are critical and cold and judgmental. But Jesus is teaching us that, listen, through his triumphal entry, what you can see is that, and through his whole life, you can see that he can teach truth and be gentle. He can hold a standard with humility. He can possess the riches of heaven and yet honor the poor. He can possess all infinite power and then celebrate weakness. The all-powerful creator God who spoke the world into existence and he holds all things together by his power. That same God who defines truth and hates sin, that same God has taken on human flesh and he says, but if you want to know my heart, my heart is gentle and lowly. And he rides into Jerusalem as the all-powerful king in a spirit of gentleness. And he invites all to come to him and he'll give them rest. It's worth noting 
that Jesus describes himself as gentle to those who come to him. It's worth noting that Jesus is presenting himself as gentle to people and crowds that have come to him to receive rest. It's fair to highlight that Jesus doesn't always present himself to all people as gentle. Matthew chapter 21, I left off at the end of the triumphal entry. The very next verse, Jesus is going to walk into the temple. He's going to flip over their tables, and he's going to kick them out of the temple. But we should highlight the fact that when he does that, it's not to people that have come to him for rest. It's to people that have opposed him and are abusing his father's house. And so Jesus doesn't present himself consistently and always to all people with gentleness, but to those who come to him with their burdens, he receives them with gentleness, and it is his heart. But even the heart of our gentle Savior must, at times, oppose wickedness and drive out those who are abusive towards the things of God. So his heart stays the same, but he certainly, in Scripture, will, will demonstrate strength Right? Gentleness is strength under control, and still in control, he will exert his power and judge wickedness. But on Palm Sunday, this is how he is described, gentle on the colt, the foal of a donkey. I think it begs the question, have you come to Jesus? Right? Jesus says, come to me, all who are heavy, burdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. He's surrounded by people on Palm Sunday. Crowds have come to him. So we ask ourselves the question as we read this passage, am I one who has come to Jesus? If it were 2,000 years ago, did I come out into that crowd to catch a sight of Jesus? You know, figuratively speaking, have you come to Jesus? Have you come to him this morning? I can't help but assume if you're here today, then you've taken some step towards Jesus. I realize you could be sitting here today cold-hearted and angry and objected to God, But I'm assuming if you're hearing me and you're listening right now in this moment, there's a part of you that wants to come to Jesus. And so you should see Jesus with arms outstretched wide and gentleness ready to receive you. To stick with the theme of horses and Jesus is riding on a horse, let's use this illustration. Do you remember the movie um, The Horse Whisperer? Does anybody remember this movie? Robert Redford, um, I don't know if it was in the 90s or something like that. Robert Redford is the horse whisperer. So here's the concept, right? He, is a, he has a special gift of, of being able to um, train horses, particularly those horses that have been traumatized. He's able to come alongside these horses, and, and uh, he's not like Dr. Doolittle. He's not actually whispering to the horses, but he has a special gift for training horses and restoring them after trauma. So that's the setting of the movie. Uh, they come to him with a horse that's been traumatized through this serious accident, and he's coming alongside this horse to try and, and bring the horse back to who the horse can be and overcome the trauma. There's a, a wonderful scene in the movie where the horse, they're working with the horse and, and someone in the audience, right? Like there's somebody there just watching him work. Their cell phone rings, and it spooks the horse, and it takes off and runs away. And so the horse whisperer follows this horse out into this big pasture, And the horse is on the far side of the pasture, and the horse whisperer just sits down in the pasture. The way they film the scene, they you see that like hours and hours and hours go by. And he's sitting in the field, the horse is in the field, 
And he just waits until it's dusk. And the horse, out of curiosity, begins to make his way over. And finally, the horse bends down and, and reaches out to the horse whisperer. And he's able to lead him back to the safety of his stall. Such is an illustration of the gentleness of our Savior. And I don't know any of our histories, but I imagine that many of us have been wounded. Many of us have experienced trauma. Many of us have experienced abuse. What we need to see is that our Savior is gentle and he is patient and his arms are open wide. Maybe you've taken steps to Jesus in the past, but you've been spooked, right? You've been spooked and you took off. Maybe it was an ignorant comment that some Christian made, or, or maybe it was just some straight-up mean comment that some Christian made, and you were trying to re-engage, but you got spooked and you took off and you ran. Whatever, whatever your scenario this morning, what I think is helpful is to see that imagery that Jesus is sitting there in the pasture, and he is gentle and he is patient, and he is waiting for you to return to him so that he can gently lead you to safety and restoration. I hope we can see the importance of gentleness as we observe Jesus riding into Jerusalem on this Palm Sunday. What I also want us to see this morning, though, is, is that I hope you're like me. I, I want to be like Jesus as much as possible, I want Jesus to rub off on me. I, I want to live like he lived. And so I want to be a gentle person. And so what I highlighted this week as I'm going through it, I'm like, I was surprised how often the Bible encourages us to be gentle. So let me just share with you some of them as, as we seek to be more like Jesus. It, it applies to every area of our life, whether you're married or not, whether you have children or not, if, you, if you're working, if you're not working, it deals with conflict resolution, Gentleness has um, positive implications in every area of everyone's life. It's all through Scripture. But here, I'll give you an example. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is such a helpful verse for us. Gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I heard someone explaining this week, and I was like, oh, that's so true, isn't it? So they were explaining how what we do as human beings is we mimic whatever emotion is presented to us, generally speaking. That's how we're wired. So if I'm walking into a funeral, then I mimic the room, don't I? I, I can, I'm aware, and then I change my demeanor to meet their demeanor. If I walk into a, a nightclub and there's a comedian, then I mimic the behavior, right? If I'm interacting with you and you're depressed and sad and down, then I will mimic that to be empathetic to you. If I'm with someone who's highly energetic and full of joy, then it will naturally rub off on me. We rub off on one another. That's the human condition. That's how God has wired us. We rub off on one another. That's why we have words like um, uh, laughter is contagious. It is. That's why we say, I'm going to go cheer them up. Well, it's because we know that if I go around somebody, I might be able to cheer them up if I'm cheerful. We mimic what's presented to us for good and for bad. So when someone comes at me with harsh words, the way I'm wired is I will now return harsh words to you. 
You come at me in anger, then I will mimic that anger and back at you. You raise your tone, I raise my tone. You say mean things to me, I say mean things to you. You try to hurt me, I try to hurt you. That's how we're operated. But God says, oh, 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 gentleness. A gentle answer will turn away wrath, but a harsh word will stir up more anger. And so we have this opportunity before us to be more like Jesus, to learn from his example this week. So when someone attacks you this week, how about a gentle response? When somebody unfairly accuses you this week, could you respond in gentleness? When someone yells at you, can you gently respond? When someone insults your pride, is it possible for you to respond in gentleness? Parents, I think this works with our kids. And kids, I think it works with your parents as well. Employees, I think this works with your boss. I'll give you another one, Proverbs 25, 15. Now, this is, again, will highlight the need for varied translations. Um, 25, 15, if you read the NIV, it says, a gentle tongue can break a bone. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> That's weird. Um, the message translation sort of helps us capture the idea a little better. It says, gentle speech breaks down rigid defenses. What all the translators are trying to do is take this ancient language and try to make it understandable to a modern audience. And so the idea that we're trying to get through here is if you have a gentle speech, it will, it will persuade people. It will, it will tear down defenses. But that's just not modeled for us. If I turn on the news and I watch two commentators trying to persuade one another and there is a rigid defense between them, I will not see typically gentle tongues modeled, will I? And yet that's the, the gentleness of our Savior, the gentleness of God's word will actually break down rigid defenses. I don't know if anybody works in sales. I don't know what they're teaching you in sales training, but this is what I perceive is that if you want to persuade someone, if there's a rigid defense, I'm not going to buy that car. I feel like it's, it's what I'm looking for in a salesman is, is gentleness. Because gentleness is, is what will persuade us. It's, it's a gentle tongue that brings down the barriers. So if there's a teenager trying to persuade your parents, it might be valuable to enter into the conversation with a gentle tongue to break down a rigid defense. And parents, if you have a teenager, that, that it might be that a gentle speech might persuade them. And parents, I think we have to all do our best to stop yelling at our kids because the principles of Scripture are that we'll actually be more effective if we don't throw harsh words at them, but if we give them a gentle tongue. We could do, I'll just highlight a few more. 1 Timothy 6.11, for all the men in the audience. Men. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things, things he wrote in the previous verses, but pursue righteousness, godliness, faithfulness, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Men, be gentle. Women, 1 Peter 3, 4, rather it should be said that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Men should be gentle according to Scripture. Women should be gentle according to Scripture. Titus 3.2, it says, For all of us, men or women, speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, and be gentle. James 3.17, Wisdom that's from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle. Philippians 4.5, Let your gentleness be evident to all people. 
Colossians 3.12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with gentleness. Jesus teaches us the importance of gentleness as he rides into Jerusalem on the back of that donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. And the importance of gentleness is then underscored throughout the rest of Holy Scriptures. But before we leave here today and decide that I'm convinced I'm going to be more gentle this week. I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave here today and be more gentle. Let me just help us pause and highlight Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. Our human efforts is not where gentleness is going to come from, not long-term, consistent gentleness. It's going to come from a fruit of the Spirit so step one isn't leaving here today to, I'm going to be gentle. It's not self-will. It's actually yielding of ourselves. Gentleness is the opposite of self-assertiveness and self-interest. Gentleness comes from trusting in God. So step one is admit our need, believe in, in Christ's forgiveness, and then committing ourselves to his way, praying that, that God would fill us with the Spirit, so that we can be gentle. And then certainly, steps four or five there is in there, like, you better try to be gentle. But the point is, it's not step one. Step one is just self-effort. Step one must be this, this confession of need and then a response of, of prayer and trust in Jesus. And maybe you're thinking this morning, well, I'm a failure at this. I've already failed. I have a temper. I lash out. I know myself. I'm not a gentle person. I trust your self-evaluation. <clears throat> I'll just give you a sneak peek into my life. Um, Saturday morning, yesterday, I wake up early, finishing touches to this sermon. Before noon, I had already lashed out in such a way that I had to, after that, with my family around me in the car, apologize for not being gentle, for being for speaking in a way that was wrong to speak and ask them to forgive me for what I had done. So God doesn't recruit perfect people. He doesn't use perfect people. He recruits and uses broken, flawed people who are willing to admit their brokenness and trust in him that he can still use us in spite of ourselves. Moses, this wonderful Old Testament character. But let's remember Moses. If you, if you know the story of Moses, he had, he had some rage issues. He got so angry once that he murdered an Egyptian, buried the body, and ran out of town. He got so mad once, he was in God's presence on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments. He comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments that God has etched into stone, and he's so angry, he throws those things down on the ground and breaks them. I can just imagine God on the mountain being like, whoa, <laughs> you did what? He's got some anger issues. I don't know what motivated him, but later on in the story, God says, I'll make water come out of that rock if you speak to it. And Moses approaches that rock and he hits it with his staff. But the Bible says this of Moses in Numbers 12.1. Moses was very meek. There's that word again. More than all people who are on the face of the earth. God uses people that are broken aware of their brokenness and their need for Jesus. And then those are the people he uses. And so there's hope for all of us to be gentle people this week as we surrender to God. 
Let me close with this verse. Hebrews 5.2. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. It's a beautiful verse. But he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. What I really want you to leave here this morning with is maybe you've been ignorant, maybe you've been wayward, maybe you're that horse on the far end of the pasture. I really want you to see Jesus as your gentle and loving Savior who has seated himself down in that pasture and is waiting for you. He is gentle towards those who are ignorant and wayward. And he is ready to lead you into safety. And he is patient. And he is gentle.